spirited people. I don't know why it was hard to get out today, but it was, wasn't it? But here you are, bless your sweethearts. And of course, we had, uh, uh, for many of you, a big party here last night. They had a big shebang, and it was beautiful. Jacqueline was wonderful, just wonderful. So I'm very glad to see you here this morning. We're talking today about David and Nathan. And, you know, David wasn't surprised when Nathan came to present a case. Because as well as being king, he was the chief justice of Israel's Supreme Court. And he heard cases. And you know David's condition right now. You know the sin he had gotten in and his... Uh, Lack of, of wanting to confess that sin and get it right. So there he sat in his royal robes, all wrapped up in his pride and in his hard heart. And Nathan tells him that the rich man took the poor man's only lamb. And David was so mad, he said, kill him. Just kill him. And Nathan stood before his king that he had mentored, the king that he had prayed for and honored and I think he might have even felt some fear. After all, David was a king. But at God's command, Nathan pointed a bony finger at the king and said, You are the man. You stole Bathsheba. You slept with her. You had her husband killed. You have pretended before these people that everything is all right between you and God. But you are the man. Wow. Confrontation. Have you ever been confronted? Did anybody ever confront you? Or have you ever been in Nathan's place where you needed to be the confronter? You know, we take a risk when we confront somebody, even a, a good friend. You might lose that friendship. You really might. You'd rather let somebody else do it if they would. And in churches, many times, nobody does. Nobody does. A family in our church years ago was in a mess, and I felt pressure in my prayer time to call that wife and so I called her, and I asked her if I could come and talk with her and have prayer with her, and she said no. I was embarrassed. I was rejected. I had a little hard time with that. But a couple of weeks later, uh, it got so heavy on my heart that I reluctantly swallowed my pride, and I called her again, and I just said, I know you're hurting, and I think God wants me to, talk, uh, to walk alongside of you. May I please come and visit and her answer was a very unenthusiastic, I guess. <laughs> and you know what? We became friends. We, we prayed and we prayed and we prayed. And much later, looking back, she said to me, you know what? During that awful time, everybody in our church knew what was going on with us. And we continued to come and act normal. And church people just smiled and shook our hands and walked off. We knew they knew. But we also knew they must not care very much. You see... It's just so much easier not to confront anyone. It'll cost you something every time. Love and obedience to God has to be stronger than the desire to, I don't want to be in, involved in this, and just get out of the way. Look away. But there's a point in many people's life where they need confrontation, and the most loving thing that you could ever do is confront them. See, everybody has a Bathsheba. Everybody does. And I know that sounds strange, but what I mean is each of you will have a moment when something's going to test your integrity. You will. Something that will show you what you're really made of, something that will surprise you about yourself. David had been so doggone successful. He had arrived, and success is really, really hard to handle. Most people just can't do it. 
Here David was at the top. He was ready to kick back and enjoy his success at this point. And he did not, of course, need to rely on God, he thought, the way he did when he was on the run, when he was living in a cave. Then every day he was asking God for protection and, and thanking God that he had survived the hatred of King Saul just one more day. He needed God. But now he had it. He had it all. Oh, I imagine he still went to, we'll call it church, for people to see. He still went through the motions of worship. He may have sang some of his own psalms, but you can bet his song lacked sincerity and hit against a, uh, a concrete or a still ceiling, let's call it. You ever felt like your prayers never went anywhere, mm -hmm. keeping up appearances? You might have experienced a time like that. What happens? I don't know for sure. Maybe we're consumed by something in our life. Uh, lots of times with women and men in churches, it might be unforgiveness or it might be anger towards somebody. And, you know, we really don't want to forgive. We just don't want to. There's a wall then between our soul and our Savior. Or, or maybe we get to playing with a sin. And, guys, I know there are sins that seem small to us, but I'm telling you no sin is small if God convicts you and says don't. No sin is small. There's no such thing. And if we don't let it go after that conviction, a hardened heart begins to develop when, within us, no matter how close you may have been to God before. That sin can mess you up because hardened hearts not softened by submission to God just get harder and harder. Every little sin matters. But at this time in his life, David was apparently pretty jaded by riches and power and military success. Aren't you sad that when everything is going very right in your life that you tend to pray less? And when we pray, we pray with less intensity because at the moment we're not desperate for anything. We don't need anything. And that's when we come into unguarded moments. Have you noticed that the more gadgets we have, the less time we have for God? Got Netflix? Well, we can binge watch one after another of our favorite shows. Got Facebook, hours and hours. Looking for bargains, get on Amazon, and boy, you can stay there all morning, can't you? I didn't get to pray this morning, uh, so I ran in and I prayed five minutes before I hit the door. We can have so many things that are pleasant and easy, and we just sit down and give in to them because praying is hard work. You do know that, don't you? Deep prayer is hard, hard work. Sometimes it's a beautiful experience, and sometimes it's just gut-wrenching. But it's always worth it, and it has results. It's so much easier to play that game or spend time checking up on just what's going on around town. And we don't cry out to God as much anymore. And you might be this person. Yeah, yeah, I've got lost people in my family I should be praying for every day because I know if I pray for them that God will supernaturally touch their heart and result of my prayer. Or I know he will set up occasions for them to meet someone who will talk with them about Jesus, confront them with the truth. But oh my, messing with my iPhone is just so much easier. <laughs> well, David pretended to be what he used to be. David faked it, but God saw. So the trip on the crooked road again. A little flirting with the world. I'm sure David thought that's not going to make a big difference. And then it goes to just checking Bathsheba out. That's all I'm doing, just checking her out. And then the thoughts come. 
And then the next step, I wonder what it would be like. I just wonder. And the imagination goes. He let the temptation play in his mind. And that's the path we travel on to with the things that become sin in our life. After all, he was David the king. Why, just look what he had done, for heaven's sakes. I'm sure he saw it. Well, look at all the psalms I sang to my Lord. Just think, I've written so many. And look at how righteous I have been. Look at how God always seems to favor me, how he helps me in all the things that I have done. Remember Goliath? Wasn't I something running toward that giant? David decided he was all right. As a matter of fact, he was far better than most men. Now, we'll th we think that we will always be what we always wanted to be when we were close to God. We think if we get that relationship really good, that we'll always be there. No, no, watch out. The Bible says every day we have to take every thought captive. Every sin starts with a thought. You know that? Every sin you'll ever commit starts with a thought. I'm just looking at something. I'm just thinking about it. Look how long I have served God and how much I have done. And I'm very secure in my salvation. Once saved, always saved. I know I'm going to get to heaven. Is that a reason to go get into sin? Okay. The Bible says you can do it this way. You can get to heaven by the skin of your teeth smelling like smoke. You can do that. But our Father says, don't. He says, lay up for yourself, store up in heaven treasures. He knows what's going to happen to us in the ever after, and he wants the very best for us. So he's saying, go after the rewards. It's not something wrong with that. There's something wonderful with that because it means that you are doing God's work here on earth. That's the only way you can get rewards, doing his work, being his hands and his feet. So David is going to learn two lessons. First, he's going to learn what we already know, I hope. The consequences of sin are usually irreversible. Ah, Things were set in motion in his life he could never call back. He suffered. He did. And second, he learned that forgiveness is always available. The pattern hasn't changed. Just the same for us today. We've got to have that conviction of sin. David must have felt it, but he pushed it out of his mind. He had to have help. He had to have confrontation. And David's confrontation, of course, we know came through Nathan, who said, who said this, and this could be said to any of us, you are the one. It was God that gave you all those blessings. And why have you despised the word of God by doing what is evil? And Nathan spelled those sins out. See, you have to take ownership of your sin. You have to name them one by one. I'm telling you this thing, forgive us our sins in Jesus' name, amen. I didn't get it. You have to be aware of what it is that you're doing in your life that's displeasing to God. You have to take ownership. You have to get down in the dirt of your sin and say, okay, I see it. I did it. My sin is constantly before me. That's what David said. It's you and you alone that I have really sinned against God. It's you. It's you, God. <sighs> see, confession of sin is an absolute requirement. You read Psalm 51. David is in misery. And, and listen to just two verses from Psalm 38, which we don't read a lot. But hear this and see if you've ever felt what David was feeling at this time. He said, because of your wrath, there's no health in my body. 
There's no soundness in my bones because of my sin. My guilt has absolutely overwhelmed me like a burden too heavy to bear. Have you been there? So what could David do? How could he survive this awful thing that he, things he had done? Only by the grace of God. Grace. One of our favorite words, grace. Cleansing. We have to accept it. Knowing we don't deserve it, we have to accept it anyway. It's part of our humbling experience to know we must receive the grace. Or we're going to walk just way down with shame and guilt and will be of very little use in the building of the kingdom of God, and that's what we're here for. Nathan says, okay, David, the Lord has taken away your sin. You shall not die. God's grace is something, isn't it? What did God do? Well, I'm going to tell you what he did. He continued to use David after lying and murder and adultery, deception. He continued to use David in a mighty way. Just, just listen. David wrote many, many more psalms. So many psalms were written after the fall, inspired scripture that were added to the holiest book after the fall. And when we fall, you know what we do? We run to them and we read them. I've read Psalm 51 on my knees with tears streaming down my face more than once, I'm telling you. David's name, David's name, instead of being connected with shame, it's still to be more greatly honored in Israel than any other name until Jesus Christ himself. And that throne of David, it was established forever. You and I are going to see that. We'll know it. When we get to the millennium, we'll know all about David's throne. God's going to still honor his chosen people, whatever they have done. And David's name is written down in glory. <laughs> okay. We see the cycle. In springtime, when kings went to war, David stayed home. There it is. No big deal, except, listen, at every moral intersection in your life, at first, it's like a railroad crossing. At first, in your heart, you'll see a blinking light, or you'll hear, hear those bells clinging. Or there, maybe there will even be that arm that falls down and says, stop. The alarm is inside of you, and you've got to heed it. Won't you begin to pray with David? Lord, search me. Test my thoughts. Point out anything in me that you see as wrong. And, oh, God, lead me on paths of righteousness. That ought to be a protective prayer for us every day of our life because sin is at the door, at the door. Pray that you'll never need a Nathan because if you sin, and you will, you have it inside of you, your own personal confronter. You don't have to wait for a Nathan. Yes, you do, you, you do have that. We, have, we call him the Holy Spirit of God, and he will confront you. And like David, then you immediately have a choice. Okay, what am I going to do with this? Hear and obey immediately or harden your heart and prepare to suffer. God, help us stop sin at the door at the first thought. Tell God, God, would you just go ahead and confront me? Will you just do it? Can I be so close to you that I know that every day, as I approach the new things of that day, there'll be confrontation with me when I get off the path because it is much easier to stay on it than to climb down those hills and climb back up and try to get on again. God, help us. We want to save ourselves from sorrow and please the God who loves us so much. Okay. Pray with me.
Father, there's so much to learn here. And God, you see before you, and certainly right here, speaking to you now, a bunch of women who are prone to wonder. Lord, we feel it. Prone to leave the God we love. <laughs> oh, God, let's, let us continue with that, that thought and say, here's our heart. Oh, God, take and seal it. Seal it by the throne above. Father, keep us from this sin that is so prevalent in this world. Father, they don't even know they're sinning, it seems, anymore. And indeed, they do believe that right is wrong, and wrong is right. We're so upside down. And God, we've got to have you in our heart and in our life, or we're going to get confused. Thank you for women who will come out on a cold Tuesday morning because they don't want confusion to reign in their hearts. God, they want to hear your truth today. God, bless them for that. Fill them with your spirit. Send us out, Father, to do your will and to do your way. Send us out clean by the blood of Jesus Christ, righteous because of your holiness, loving you because of what you've done for us. Oh, my Lord and my God, how precious you are. Please, Father, confront us daily. Hold us close to you and let us never stray so that other people are not disappointed and disillusioned because of the witness we claim that we have. I ask this all in the name of Jesus and the power of that beautiful name. Father, knowing you told us if we ask properly with our motives right and just speak the name of Jesus Christ to you, he's there at your right hand interceding for us and our prayer will be heard. I praise you, my Lord. I love you. In Jesus' name, amen.